Thank you for being a listener of the Women in Tech podcast. To support the podcast and cheer us on, become an MVL Most Valuable Listener on our private feed where you'll have ad-free episodes and join us in Zoom meetups to meet other listeners of our podcast community. Go to womenintech.love, linked in the show notes. And I tell this to a lot of people that I mentor. There are opportunities everywhere. They're everywhere. Look left, look right. There's opportunities. It's the people who actually go searching for them. And when they see them, they take them and they're not afraid to jump on them. Those are the people that we look at and we're like, oh, they're just lucky. Three, two, one. My name is Esprit Devora, host of The Women in Tech Show. The show means a lot to me. The reason why I wanted to create the Women in Tech show is I wanted to create a positive piece of content, something where people can listen and say, if she can do it, so can I. Women in Tech podcast celebrating women in tech around the world. So excited for our next guest, Brooke, coming at us from Texas. Hello. Hi, it's so great to be here. Thank you for having me. To kick things off, go ahead, tell everybody a little bit about who you are and what you do. Sure. So I'm Brooke Ramirez. I'm based out of Houston, Texas, and I am a CIO, so Chief Information Officer. I work for Canon Design, which is a building design firm. So we design really unique buildings, universities, hospitals, stadiums, things that aren't necessarily cookie cutter. And I run technology for that firm. And walk us through, when was the first time that you really fell in love with technology, that you became interested in it? Were you a little girl? Was it more later on in college? Yeah, so as a little girl, I actually just wanted to be a mom. Like that was my goal in life. <laughs> and so when it came time to for college, like you had to pick a degree and I had no clue what I wanted to do. I knew I liked math. So I started with accounting and that was my first year of college and I absolutely hated it. I took some classes. It was awful. So then I'm like, well, I'll be a teacher. I'll teach people. So I did education for a year and I didn't love that either. I was kind of bored. So I'm sitting in the counselor's office my junior year of college. No clue what I want to do with my life. All I know is that I want to be a mom one day and I'm probably just going to be a stay-at-home mom. So who cares what I'm going to do for a living because it won't be forever. Um, The counselor's like talking to me, asking me all these questions. And I really wish I could remember who that counselor was because I would go back and thank them. Um, But she said, you know, I think maybe you should try computers. And this is back in the early 2000s. It was actually in 2000. And she's like, there's not a lot of women in technology. You know, you seem to have this problem solving ability that you like. So maybe you should try it. And I said, okay. (laughs) I said, sign me up. I have no clue what I'm getting myself into. So my junior year, my senior year of college, I did computers, computer information systems, did a lot of things, engineering, did programming, and I just really loved it. Like it stuck with me. I enjoyed doing it. When I graduated from college, I got this job just Uh, Well, actually, let me back up a second because I was interviewing for all these software developer jobs and I had so many job offers making pretty good money for being straight out of college. And they would walk me through the office and they'd be like, here's the office you're going to sit in. And it was like always four white walls with a door, no people around. And I was like, oh man, like I need to be around people. I'm an extrovert. Like I can't be by myself. And so I knew kind of then I was like, I don't think I want to actually be a software developer. I think I need to pick something where there's people involved and I just fell into a job doing like service desk work at an engineering firm and kind of haven't looked back from there. You shared a bit that when you were a little girl, you really aspired to be a mom, as so many women aspire for. How did that dream merge with your new interests? Like, what did that look like when you started to gain the interest in technology? I think the reason I wanted to be a mom is back when I was younger, when going to college, I'm 44 now. So back then, 
that's what women were kind of like being groomed for, like being a wife and a mom. And I didn't know any different, to be honest. And so when I went through college and then I started working, I was like, oh, there's like a whole world out here that I can be a part of. Right. And I still wanted to be a mom, but it wasn't like as a little girl, that's kind of what you're groomed to be. And what's so great about nowadays is these young girls have all this access to people like you and these podcasts and things, and they can see like there is a world out there that's beyond just being a wife and a mom. So for me, you know, I became a mom (laughs) and I tried the stay at home thing very, very briefly. And I was like, nope, I like the world. I like to be out in the world. I like to work. And so I've been able to kind of do both, which is great. I've technology has really enabled me to have that work-life balance with my kids and be there for them, but also still be able to do what I really love to do. I think it's really important that we create the lives that we want for ourselves without kind of feeling or letting the pressures of society get to us. And I love that you said, look, I did what I thought I wanted to do. And then when I was doing that, it didn't feel 100% right. And I allowed myself the space to try on, let's call it a new experiment to see if I would like that better. And as you've been like fostering your identity throughout your life, you've just allowed the space to explore what your genuine interests are and, and to pursue those things. I think we all need that permission. I would say like that's been a running theme through my entire career. Early on, like I was on the service desk, just doing help desk type work at an engineering firm, learning, like programming on the side. I was being mentored by a system administrator. I'm like, oh, well, if I'm going to make good money in this world, I have to be a system administrator. So that was what I was working towards. And then a year or two later, I became a system administrator and I hated it. And I was like, oh, this is actually not that exciting anymore. Like it's, again, like I needed to be around people. So I actually went backwards and took a demotion and I'm like, put me back on the service desk because at least I could be interacting with people a lot more. Um, But then I was like, well, I want to, I just kept trying things. I was like, let me try security. Let me try networking. And I just literally tried everything I could until something really stuck. Because I think a lot of people, especially like young in their careers, they're just like, oh, so-and-so told me do this because I can make a lot of money. What's great about technology is there's thousands of jobs. So if you don't like one, you can find another one and still make good money. You don't have to get stuck in this kind of rut. And I've always, I don't know what it is about me that had me just continuing to try things. And I would even step backwards if it was not the direction I wanted to go. Uh, ultimately, I've realized I wasn't somebody that wanted to be in the weeds of the actual technology. I was really better at strategy and leadership and building good teams and and solving the big, complex technology problems for companies versus being the person who was writing the code or pushing the buttons and things like that. But it was really through a ton of trial and error. I mean, I had like six, seven different jobs within 10 years just trying to figure that out. I think that is so cool. Walk us through your role today. What does the day-to-day look like being the CIO for Canon Design? Uh, It's funny because I say like I am the CIO, but I have so many different jobs. I'm the type of person I get kind of bored easy, so I'm always looking for challenge. So from a CIO perspective, my job is running technology. Um, Our firm, we kind of break it up into three buckets, if you will. So we have your traditional technology, which is your infrastructure, it's the service desk, it's the computers and the servers and networks. So we have that. And I have a leader that reports to me there. And then we have this other group that is what we call design technology. So in the building design industry, we are designing gigantic buildings. We're using three 3D models. Actually, they're 5D models because we add in Um, Not just visually the 3D piece of it, but then, you know, like scheduling and costs and stuff. And there's over like 600 software applications that our designers use to design buildings from engineering to the actual architecture, interiors. So we have a whole team of people that is only focused on design tech. And that's there's data science in that. There's software development in that. There's uh, virtual reality and augmented reality. It's crazy. It's almost like working in a movie industry or something like that, but because it's all visual. 
And then we have another group and they're totally focused on data, data analytics, data science, software development, um, building products, selling products. So I somehow, uh, I do it all. <laughs> so <laughs> I kind of do the CIO role. I do the CTO role. I do a little bit of innovation. Um, I do a lot in, in the technology space. And walk us through, like, if somebody wanted to become a CIO and they ha- and they don't know anything about it, because we were talking about the curiosity of, of role swapping earlier in our conversation, what are the initial steps to start to learn how to become a CIO and what characteristics need to be your strengths? I think the two big ones are curiosity and um, just having that desire to learn and grow and not being afraid of things you don't know is really the big thing. I, I never set out to be a CIO. Like it was not like I was like, this is going to be the job that I want to have. Um, I just, it, it was that progression of trying things out. And I got to a point where I realized, oh, like I think that's what I want to do one day. And this is five years before I actually became a CIO. I was working at a firm. I was a senior director and I was working for a CIO. And I just said to him, I was like, I want to be a CIO one day. I was just super transparent about it. I'm like, I want your job one day. And if I can't have your job, then I will go somewhere else and find like, but this is what I want to do. And I was really upfront about that. He was like my biggest mentor, honestly. And he was so great about letting me be that transparent and that vocal. And this is a pretty cool story because the first couple of years, every year I'd say, okay, let me try budgeting. Let me try strategic. Like I'm going to try it. He And he would like, let me do the jobs that a CIO would do. And I would do it kind of on the side. So I would do my job and then I would go the extra mile to start doing the job I wanted because I wanted to learn it, but I was learning it with these safety ropes. And I had this mentor that was fully like, yeah, here, take this on, take this on. And he was like the safety net for me um, to the point where it got where I was ready. I was like, I've, I've been kind of doing bits and pieces of this job. I know I've, I feel confident, but I don't have the title. So I, and I told him, I was like, I'm going to start looking for a job. And I had been at this company for 15 years. This is my life. And I've, I'd only been at that company. And he was like, well, he wasn't going anywhere. <laughs> and so he was like, you're ready and I'll support you and I'll write you a recommendation letter. And the company didn't want me to leave, obviously. I mean, I, well, not maybe not obviously, but I was there a long time um, and I was doing good work, but he knew like it, I needed to take that next step. And so what was great about that is when I was interviewing for my first CIO role, I had all this experience. I went up against like 10 other male CIOs who had been doing it for 10 years, who had the title. And I had gone back to school to get my MBA at some point in my career because I was like, I really think I need that because if I'm going to somehow beat out people who have experience, I need something. So I ended up getting the job and I asked the CEO, I was like, why did you give me the job? Like, I didn't have the experience. I clearly there's there's other people who had 10 plus years experience. And he just said like the two things. One was I convinced them that even though I didn't have the experience, like I was willing to do anything it took to be successful. Like I brought that energy to the interview and they were wanting someone who not only that, that just made them feel confident that that I could do it. And so it was something about that. I had the confidence because I was kind of doing the job and I somehow sold it because <laughs> um, I did feel confident. And it was because of that experience that made me feel that confidence. So the reason why I love the story is because the purpose of the Women in Tech podcast is, again, if she can do it, so can I. And to show examples of truly our destinies can be in our control more than sometimes we think. What is your take on, I mean, I need to call it being vulnerable with your former boss. Do you recommend that? I, I believe in that, but you could get someone that feels threatened by that. What? How do you approach Let's let's maybe use a less woo word candidness <laughs> yeah. with your superiors. I tell people all the time that I'm mentoring. I'm like, there are thousands, hundreds of thousands of companies. And in tech, you can work for any of them, right? There's 
if you're in oil and gas, you're kind of stuck with oil and gas companies. If you're in, if you're a lawyer, you're kind of stuck with law firms. If you're in tech, you can work for any company. So I tell people all the time, I'm like, go work for a company where the boss or the person you're going to work for and the people you're going to work for and the work that you're going to do has meaning and that you can do that because I actually similar at the same firm. And this is, this is like a pivotal moment in my career. I was going through a, a leadership development program and I had picked two mentors and I just picked them because they were C-level executives. And I knew at this point I wanted to be a C-level executive. And so I'm going to this program and one of the mentors actually pulled me to the side during one of our leadership sessions. And he and I um, have always been this way. And I, this is probably 12 years ago. So I'm always kind of like been a goofy person. I like to joke a lot. I like to be silly. I like to bring fun into work. But this executive was like, hey, like maybe you should tone it down a little, be a little more serious, like wear shirts that are like more maybe like covering up to the neck, put your hair in a bun, you know, because when it's down, it makes you look really young because I was like 33 at the time and I looked really young. And I just was like, wow, like, is this what I have to do to be an executive? And I, it like took me aback and I'd never had somebody say things to me like that. And I really sat on it for about a week. I talked to a couple people, other mentors, and I, and people weren't really telling me what to do, like either one way or the other. And I was like, what am I going to do? Because this is a respected person that's mentoring me. And he's flat out telling me like, this is what I have to do to be an executive. And so I decided, I was like, you know what? I never want to work for a company that I have to change who I am. And so in that moment, I literally just decided that no matter what I did moving forward, no matter what company I worked for, what position I would be in, I would always be authentically myself because otherwise you're just, you can't bring your whole self to work. And I want to impact and I want to make a difference and I would never be able to be who I am today if I wasn't me. <laughs> so I made the choice and I went back to that person. I was like, I appreciate the input, but I'm going to I'm going to make it being me. And in the back of my head I'm thought and I'm going to do it because you said that to me. <laughs> and I've, I and I carried that and I was and when I became a CIO, I kind of stuck sat back and I'm like, "Oh my god, like it worked. I didn't have wow. to change. I love that you bring this up because I don't think it comes up enough in conversation how often we're challenged with the question of whether to make ourselves small or to or to succumb to someone else's narrative of the way the world's supposed to be in order to accelerate in our careers. This even happened last night. I had a friend of mine that was told to be small and how she was presenting wasn't pleasing to a new member of the staff or something. I was, I was like, oh my gosh, you're the most caring person ever. Why would someone say that to you, you know? And so how did you vocalize it to that mentor of yours? Because I'm sure you did it in a really eloquent way. How do you communicate that kindly? I don't remember the exact words that I used. And I remember being really upset. Um, I mean, I was like hot and I was hot the whole week. Like I couldn't calm myself down. So when I finally kind of went back to, cause I felt like I needed to address it. I mean, I guess I could have just moved on and just ignored it, but I, I guess I just kept thinking like, he's going to give this advice to other people, <laughs> um, other women, you know, cause I was in a pretty male, the industry I'm in is very male dominated, not the tech side, but the actual architecture and engineering aside from the tech side. So it was something like, you know, I really appreciate the feedback that you gave me. I don't know if I'm going to feel comfortable with that. I, I kind of feel like this is what makes me me. I'm going to just try it. And, and maybe you're right. I don't know, but I'm, I'm just going to keep doing what I do and we'll see. Do you happen to remember how that person responded? Like, was it positive or neutral or negative? It was kind of like, well, okay, like, good luck. Neutral. It was kind of like a good luck, uh, you know, I don't think that's going to work for you kind of Mm. a response. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is what I think drove me to, like, prove them wrong. Yeah. 
Man, I wish there was something that we could say right now for everyone listening when they're challenged with this question of uh, making themselves smaller that would make them feel empowered like they don't have to make it's it's for lack of a better phrase, it's safe to stay big. What can we tell them? I don't even know because this comes up so much for us. I just think like, like I said before, like I tell people this all the time, there are so many companies out there. You don't have to change who you are to fit a company. You want to find the company that fits you. And I've always been told that by by mentors, like find the job, find the culture that fits you and that your culture fits their culture. If your cultures don't align, then you shouldn't work there. Even if it's like your dream job, because you're not going to be happy. There's just options. There's so many options and you don't have to, you just don't have to. A hundred percent. I love this. Who are the target switching more to like a corporate question for a moment. Who's the target market for Canon Design so we could have an understanding of the ecosystem of, of your company? Yeah, so um, our clients are building owners, builders. So um, we do a lot of hospitals. We do a lot of universities. So name your university. Um, the people that are looking to expand, uh, have new buildings built or create new campuses. Same thing with hospitals, hotels, any major kind of, I would say unique building type because we don't do like apartment buildings or like cookie cutter type stuff. We do like every design we do for a client is unique. That's who we work for. Brooke, based on everything you've shared, you're obviously an amazing leader to work for. How would someone become part of the Canon design ecosystem? Are there opportunities to either intern or work for your company from the beginning stages to executive levels? How do people explore working with Canon design? There are, you know, I think what's great about Canon is technology is really infused throughout the business. So it's not only just this department that I run, there's opportunities everywhere. We, we have architects who are doing software development and the work that they're doing in the design space. Same thing with engineers. So, you know, really anybody with any kind of building design expertise or even we've got a group of creative people who are just designing, you know, proposals or designing lookbooks or designing all kinds of stuff. We have UI UX designers that are both in the tech group, but also working in the building design space. We do a lot of consulting. So there's so many different avenues with regards to technology positions all over. And I just think, you know, either reaching out to me, looking at our website, canondesign.com, there's jobs that are posted out there. Even if you're just interested in understanding if you've got, you know, a passion for design and a passion, especially in building design and a passion for technology, we can definitely help figure out how to merge that together. You have so much responsibility and you're dealing with really huge entities when, and and you have this beautiful confidence and curiosity. Are you someone that ever experiences imposter syndrome or does that, do you just not have, I feel like you probably don't have imposter syndrome. <laughs> no, every day, every day. Yeah. I mean, just that whole C. My first year as a CIO, I'm like, what am I? Every day, I'd be like, what am I doing here? And I even like when I asked the CEO, I'm like, why did you give me this job? Like, am I supposed to be here? I mean, until you get in there and just figure it out. I've always had the that curiosity, so I'm I know I can figure it out. I'm not a dumb person, but you don't know what you don't know. You have to learn it somehow, right? So I think with imposter syndrome, you go in and you're like, um, maybe I don't belong here, but I have the confidence to know I will figure it out. It might take me three months, six months, a year. I don't know how long it'll take, but I won't always feel this way. And I think like, I just always think about the future. Another example of huge imposter syndrome that I have, even just right now. So in our industry, we are a very massive industry from a revenue when you include construction, right? So from design and construction, Yet we're like second to last with regards to technological innovation. And so in my role, there's there's 60 really large firms in our industry on the architectural side. And all the CIOs, we all get together. We all talk. We meet twice a year in person. We are sharing. We're trying to 
move the industry forward technologically together. A couple years ago, we sat down with this, all the CEOs because there's a bunch of CEOs that they also get together. And they had been doing these visioning sessions about what we would do in the industry to move it forward. And it was like, look, we need to share data with each other. We need to develop tools together. We need to do all this stuff. But we talked about it and talked about it and talked about it. And nobody was really doing anything about it. So myself and two other CIOs decided to get together and figure out how we would do something real together. So fast forward a couple of years, we were able to convince 40 of the largest architectural firms to invest funding into a consortium that we started. And that was probably my proudest moment maybe in my career to start this out of the blue, like somehow get 40 CEOs to agree to put money into something and share, which is you know, our industry is like, hold on tight to your IP and hold on tight to your secrets. And now here we are, we're going to share all this stuff. So we launched it last April and uh, about almost a year ago. And I chair the executive committee and I sit in these, like these calls with the board and I sit and I'm like, we're talking to investors and I'm like, I don't know what I'm doing. Like, I'm like totally winging it. And I'm just talking to smart people trying to figure out what they did. Right. Um, and that's all it really is, is just spending a lot of time learning from other people and then you learn and then you start to become knowledgeable and then you're not necessarily the imposter anymore. You're helping other people. (laughs) So I, I just think it's a progression. Like everybody feels it. It's just, how do you get past it? Ah, it's so beautiful. Everything you're saying. Do you happen to remember how you cultivated that underlying confidence that you have in everything? Because you've shared this continuous through line throughout your life of this confidence that's led to the curiosity, that's led to being in uncomfortable situations and just having the confidence in in yourself that you'll figure it out eventually. Not everyone has this confidence. Where did you cultivate yours? I think there were a couple of phases to it. I think it started when I was a kid. Um, I was really close to my dad and he passed away when I was 15 and I was a really shy introverted person. And they say like researchers or people out there say that your personality doesn't change through your whole life unless something pretty traumatic happens. And I do feel like this moment in my life was one of those traumatic moments that changed me because I remember being so shy and reserved. I would be the person who would hide behind their parents' leg. You know, I I was super like nervous about being in front of anybody. And he died when he was 40, um, which is young. And I just thought to myself, oh my God, I have like 25 years to like do all these things in life. And I'm not going to get there very fast if I'm in the shadows. And so I remember consciously thinking when I was like 16 that I needed to like be more risky or get out there and just try things and make myself uncomfortable. And so I did it. Like I started like really small. I don't even remember like little things here and there, but I remember graduating from college. And when I got that first job, everything I was doing in that service desk job they don't teach you in college. They don't teach you anything about what's inside of a computer. At least back then they didn't. I only learned programming. So I remember my first month on the job, I'm sitting there and I'm trying to solve problems and I literally have no clue. And I asked this guy, like something's really stupid. Like, how do I know if the network is working on this computer? And he's like, well, check the NIC card. And I'm like, I don't know what that is. So he opens up the computer in front of me. He's like, come on. We spent an hour and he's like, this is the hard drive. This is the fan. Like he literally had to tell me what everything was inside the computer. And I thought, okay, got it. I learn really fast and I retain information pretty quickly. So I think that was another moment where I was like, I can learn anything. Like I literally am doing a job I don't know how to do at all. And fast forward six months later and I was teaching other people. And so I think going through that and just being brave. And I think that braveness came from when I was younger, just to say, just try. Like what's the worst that could happen is what I think I started from that because the worst that could happen is you could die. (laughs) And so I was thinking like, I'm not going to live past 40. Like that, my dad was 40. That's when people die. That's what I was thinking in my head. And I, how do you like help somebody create that for themselves? I think it's just 
knowing like life is short and if you put your mind to it, you can really do anything. It's just, you just have to like think about in the moment, you know, not, like not get too overwhelmed by it. And I could have easily been super embarrassed and like, oh, I got to quit and go find a job that I feel comfortable with. But there was something for me that was really exhilarating and like learning something new and then like mastering it and then moving on to the next thing. I got addicted to that. It's like almost like a little hits of dopamine for me. So the more I did it, the more I felt comfortable being uncomfortable. (laughs) Ah, gosh, this is so empowering. And thank you for being so open with your story. It's really touching. It makes me think that if we all did the exercise, understanding we're the main character in our own story, that we could write whatever story we want to write. And so maybe people wouldn't have experienced the unfortunate, you know, life situations that you've had to go through, but they can write a story of who do you want to be, like literally on on your notepad in your phone or like writing out by hand. What is the story? What, where are you right now? Where are you going as though your life is a movie and you're the main character, just whatever that is. And then just consider the possibility that that could come true. It's so cool. So cool what you're sharing. What's the best piece of advice that you've gotten that's helped accelerate your career? Oh, this is probably just so dumb, but probably just like not sweating the small stuff because I've kind of made a career out of that. Just when those, because every day something happens, right? And you could be at work, you could be at home, it could be with your kids, it doesn't really matter. And it could disrupt your entire day and just, you know, make you feel like the world is ending. And especially like kids these days, I just feel for them because there's so much that happens in the media or they're on Instagram or whatever. And someone says something and it like destroys everything that they're thinking about. And so I think just like that small stuff is being able to recognize when it is small. And when someone tells me that, I actually, to me, I think, okay, small in one, what context, right? And so sometimes it might be a big thing to me and to make it small, I have to think about like the universe because I'm like, okay, well, in the grand scheme of the entire solar system, now it's small where it might actually be a pretty big thing. Uh, it, so I'm, I'm always having to like reshape the context of what small means. And I think that advice has helped me because small is not this one thing. It's this one thing in this moment, but then tomorrow small could be 10 times bigger but it's still small in the grand scheme of right life. If we're going to live to our hundred and there's all these other things in the world, it's just a perception of what is small in that moment. It's really helped me take really big things that have hit me in life, like death or whatever it is, or, you know, not getting a promotion or whatever the thing is that could be really big. And it, it's really helped me kind of whittle it down and say, okay, well, that was not great. But in the grand scheme of life, this is just a road bump. And so, I, you know, that advice, I've kind of taken it to heart. We could, you know, edit this out if you're not comfortable talking about it. It's more a personal question, not about technology or anything. Did you say you're past 40 now? I'm 44. Yeah. So if you don't mind me asking, because I definitely don't want to be invasive, how, how did it feel getting to 41 or, or 40 or... Was there something that happened? And again, if I don't want to be invasive, so if you no, rather... That's, that's actually, you can keep this in. It's a great question because I, I talk about this a lot. So I'm very transparent. I'm an open book. I like to tell people what's real because I think it helps people. I spent most of my career and most of my life, like I have to accomplish these things before I turn 40. And that's what drove me. So, you know, I had kids in my 20s. I was married. Um, I became a CIO at 38, which is really young um, in, in the grand scheme of, especially in our industry, maybe not in the tech world these days, but it's a pretty young age, especially as a woman, because there's not a lot of women, women CIOs out there either. So I had accomplished all this stuff and I'm like, okay, I'm ready. I'm ready to turn 40. Like I did all the things I wanted to do in life. And then I turned 40 and it was this weird moment where I was like, I didn't die. So now what? And I had kind of a little bit of a, maybe a midlife crisis a bit. I don't know. But I started thinking, well, what do I want to do the next 40 years of my life? Because I just realized everything I was planning for 
ended at 40 in my head and I had kind of done it all. And so then I was stuck at this place where I'm like, oh, there's a whole lot more runway if I continue to live, which I'm, I knew I wasn't going to die at 40. Like I didn't think that was actually going to happen. I just wasn't planning for after 40. So yeah, when I got to like 40, really at 40, that year was a pretty crazy year for me. I went through a lot of change. I ended up getting divorced because there was like, there was a life I wanted to live that that wasn't, just wasn't working. And you know, at work, I was like, okay, what do I want to do here? I, I, I was starting to feel like there was more like this consortium thing. I started thinking about that. I started thinking about, I'm really passionate about leadership, learning, reading books about leadership, mentoring on leadership. So I started thinking like, okay, 10 something years from now, do I even want to be a CIO? Do I want to do something else? And I kind of freaked out for a year or two. Yeah. And then, um, I think it was honestly a when I turned 43 probably is when I really kind of settled down and I'm like, okay, I've got some new goals. (laughs) I've got some new stuff to work towards, but I don't, I don't feel like I'm in a rush anymore. I was always in this like really hyper, like tense mode. Like I was always kind of like, go, 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 go. And it's really great now because I actually feel so relaxed and I just feel like, oh, well, the rest of this is just icing on the cake. Wow. <laughs> so it did it did impact me for sure. Were those three years uncomfortable? Like meaning were they a really challenging time for you? Not just challenging in the sense of what you just shared, but just like, did you just feel flustered for three years? Like just trying to like work it out? I did. And it was not so much in the like I. In my job, I felt very comfortable. I knew how I know how to be a CIO. I've been doing it for a while now, and like I've got it down easy, right? It was more like, uh, who am I? Like, who do I want to be? And I actually, this might be a little really personal, but I went through some really intense therapy. I'd never really dealt with my dad's death at the time. Back then, therapy was not like a thing people did. So I actually went through what's called EMDR therapy for about six, seven months, and it changed my whole life. (laughs) It really helped me see like the impact that had on my life, the impact it had on who I thought I wanted to be. It helped me release all that and start to really focus on who I really wanted to be moving forward with that not as a driver. So yeah, it was a rough couple years because I was like really struggling to figure out who am I without this definition of my dad's death driving everything behind me. Who am I without that? So, whoa, that just hit for me somewhere. <laughs> wow, 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 that just like hit me all of a sudden. Like I was like, oh my god, who would I be without the the major life experience yeah. that I? And there's. Yeah. So many experiences that yeah. define you. Wow. Can you tell us about, e- you said e- EMDR. Is that what, can you tell us what that is? Eye movement, something, something. I can't remember the other <laughs> But what's words, it look like? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's essentially, I'm no therapist, but it helps you kind of, you start focusing on kind of all of the negative like when you think of when I was thinking about my dad's death it would bring a lot of emotion it would create physical like tightness headaches things and so we would go through these sessions and like you would kind of talk about the hard part and then you would slowly over time over sessions you would start bringing in more positive thoughts that would kind of counter the negative. And so at some point in the first couple sessions, I couldn't get through an hour without crying hysterically. And I don't cry as a rule. Like I'm not an emotional person. So the fact that that was happening was scaring me, but it would get to a point where by the eighth, ninth, 10th session, I was only crying like half the session. And then by the end I was, I could talk about his death. I could talk about the circumstances surrounding it without being a total mess. And so it really, it kind of helps you heal that part of your brain. It heals that part of your body. So any kind of trauma that, that you go through in life can, I think that therapy is really good for like healing trauma. So interesting. Wow. Thank you for sharing that with us. And thank you for sharing that with me. I, uh, 
for I want to make sure not to overtake your interview, but so that's why I'm I'm <laughs> staying relatively mum. But in a uh, I I've had a loss as well. So as you're talking, I am like, man, <laughs> my loss has really like defined me too. I'm like maybe yeah. I should rethink this. Yeah, that's really powerful. Like we have so many listeners around the world. If there's something that we could collectively do to champion your success, what would that ask be? And I have a rule. It's a new rule. You're the first person that's going to get this rule. But it's because <laughs> all of our lovely guests are all heart-driven, amazing women. And they always answer this question in a way of service to others. And I'm like, no, this is a question that is selfishly, how do we elevate you? It's not how every single time it's like well if you all just like learned or did that, I'm like no not for others <laughs> so for you how do we ele- no for others it has to be for you how do- can we collectively elevate you what is something uh, that you need want uh, aspiration you have in your life uh, during this chapter one of my big passions is leadership coaching and I do a lot with high school, college, like anyone at my firm, anyone in my world, if anyone asks and they want mentorship, like I either find a way to give it to them or I'll give them kind of a playbook to how to just become a better leader. Because I do think leadership is something that is undereducated. Um, like you don't really learn the mechanics behind leadership when you're in school. Like you learn teamwork and you learn kind of, you feel it, right? You're on sports teams and stuff, but no one ever says, hey, if you want to have a crucial conversation with somebody, here's a book and it gives you tools and it can like really help you. There is a lot of material out there that I was 33 years old going through a leadership program, had no clue any of this stuff was available. And then I started getting access to it. People were giving stuff to me. And I was like, I was mad. I was legitimately upset that I went 33 years and didn't know there was actual like education on leadership. And I think in a lot of companies like mine and we're in the, not mine specifically, but in the corporate world, Leadership is severely lacking because most of the people today that are in leadership roles are older. They came up through a generation where it wasn't taught and you d- and they didn't know either, right? And so it's not their fault. It's not our fault. We just didn't know there was all this education. So all that to say, I have a r- real passion and I'm actually starting to do a lot more leadership coaching to whomever needs it. It could be groups, it could be companies, it could be people. So I guess the one selfish thing I would ask is if you know people that want coaching, um, like I'm available. (laughs) I would love to be a coach, whatever that looks like. It doesn't matter to me. Just, I just feel like there's so much that needs to be shared. And for me, it's a pay it forward thing. Like I want to pay it forward, but selfishly, it gives me a lot of joy. I love it. And hopefully this will spark some sort of momentum energy amongst our community and we'll see the the magic of that. Uh, I'm so excited. I have a few I have a few quick fire questions. One, who is like a must follow for you? Like it could be a podcast, it could be a YouTube channel, a blog, uh, Twitter slash X, but somebody called it Twix the other day. I thought that was cute. Um, anybody, author. Who's a must-follow? Uh, Simon Sinek is my favorite. Oh, yeah. Start he with has why. he has a podcast called A Bit of Optimism that is one of my favorite podcasts. I am a very optimistic, positive person, and he brings on guests that are just nor- like normal people. Like he- sometimes they're celebrities and stuff, but for the most part, it's just really cool to hear from just normal people. So I love him. Yeah. And what is your favorite software, mobile app? It doesn't have to be personal, professional. It could be phone. It could be website, anything. I just love tools. (laughs) Oh, man. So, God, I'm such a nerd. My whole house is like... I've put in like smart switches and smart garage doors and stuff. So I have the whole smart things app with Alexa. And... It makes my life so much easier <laughs> to just be able to like make I have kids and they're upstairs and they leave lights on and it's middle of the night and I want to turn a light off and just be like, hey, Alexa, Oop. turn off the light. So like, <laughs> yeah. I think I would die without Alexa. <laughs> 
Oh my gosh, that's that's good. And you're making me think this is like grim but also funny at the same time you're making me think of the the movie that came out about like technology's wiped out and then what are we all gonna do nothing we, none of us know how to function anything anymore oh i'm like people ask me all the time about ai because it's the hot topic right and so I, i've talked about ai a couple of times and i like aren't you afraid of it aren't you worried like and i'm like no i love it like i i have a whole smart house it it basically operates for me. I don't have to think about things. I drive a Tesla and it like does all these things for me and I don't have to drive. And when I actually have to drive a real car, I'm like, I don't know how to drive anymore. (laughs) And so it's like, I'm all about it. Uh, I think, you know, I'll probably be, hopefully I'll be dead before it really takes over. (laughs) That's so funny. And last quick fire question. Um, Well, actually two more. One, is there a book you recommend we read? Uh, my number one favorite book is The Five Dysfunctions of a Team by Patrick Lencioni. Um, I make everybody on every team I work on read it. So my entire technology team, if you're a new employee, you work for me, that's the first book you get and you read it. Man, I just think it's so good for anybody, anybody that has to work with other people, which is everybody. It's really about like getting the people in the right places, doing the work that makes them happy and like the vulnerability, how to be open with your teammates. Uh, there's so much good stuff in that book. And it is such an easy read, like three hours tops. Uh, and it's awesome. it's told as a story. So it's not a boring leadership book. It's just a cool book. Awesome. And we'll include it in the show notes. Two more things. One, how can people connect with you? What's the best way? Um, LinkedIn is probably the I best way. I do love my LinkedIn um, right now. Can you spell your name for yeah. everybody or say it? So um And we'll include it in the show notes as well, but just so they can find you pretty easy. Yep. My name is Brooke Grimier, B-R-O-O-K-E, and last name G-R-A-M-M-I-E-R. You can find me on LinkedIn. I'm telling you guys, LinkedIn is the the new, like LinkedIn is the dominant social platform. I love my LinkedIn. (laughs) And uh, I'm on there quite a bit. (laughs) And who is a woman, a woman in tech that you think we should feature? Does anyone come to mind that's really caught you? Yes. So um, one of my mentors, her name is Amy Bunzel, uh, B-U-N-Z-E-L. She is um, one of the head people at Autodesk. Autodesk is a software company, pretty big one in our in our industry, but also in the movie industry and in um, gaming and stuff. The software that they create is for all the all of us designers. Um, but she's amazing. She has been a mentor for me and I've really um, learned a lot from her. I think amazing. she'd be great. Ah, amazing. And so everybody give love to Amy, give love to Brooke. And are there any last thoughts you wanted to share? Something that you feel like you didn't share, but you wanted to? Um. Yes. I think one of the things I get asked so people, I've had people tell me like, oh, you're lucky. You're just lucky. Like you're always getting these opportunities. They just fall in your lap. And, and I, like, it bothers me because I'm like, I know, like, that's not how it works. I, and I tell this to a lot of people that I mentor, there are opportunities everywhere. They're everywhere. Look left, look right. There's opportunities. It's the people who actually go searching for them. And when they see them, they take them and they're not afraid to jump on them. Those are the people that we look at and we're like, oh, they're just lucky. (laughs) It's not luck. It's really just being open to grabbing what you want and knowing what you want. And when you see it, even if it's not super clear or black and white, like just recognizing that it could be a stepping stone. It might not be exactly. And I just... For me, like that whole grasping opportunities, like they're never just going to fall in your lap. I mean, it, that's just not how it works. So I tell people all the time, like I've oh, every job I've ever gotten, I've actually been doing the job six months to a year before I was even given it because I because I've had to prove myself being a woman in tech, like in the era that I grew up in, it was male dominated. Like I was the only woman in a lot of circles for years. I had to be that way. I had to work harder. Luckily today, it's not as bad, but the opportunities are there. If you see anything that even looks like an opportunity, 
just take it because they're everywhere. I love that you said that. It's such a tangible example of you were prepping six months before you even had the official role, a very lighthearted example. And I completely agree with you with this. Uh, Stephen Barlett, one of my favorite podcasters with a podcast called Diary of a CEO, uh, in his vlog called Behind the Diary, said, hey, reach out to me. Here's the email. Now, I didn't know if he'd really see it, but I'm like, screw it. So I created a Loom video, said hello, emailed it. And no, I have not heard back yet. But imagine if I did that like a hundred times, 200 times, the opportunities, not to him, to many different people, I'm not about to harass someone, but to many different people, I can't tell you how many times thought leaders will share their contact information. And this is to the audience, not to Brooke, will share their contact information and no one will contact the person. So like Brooke is saying, if you're just proactive and send the email, create the the quick hello video, send the, the tweet, send the LinkedIn, uh, make a LinkedIn comment, whatever it may be. Uh, you never know what can happen. And the more times you do stuff like that, the more luck that happens in your life. You never know because like Amy, who I mentioned earlier, and then um, a woman named Janet at Google, pretty high up executive there, both of them had just randomly shared their contact info. And I was like, they're women in tech. I'm going to reach out. I need mentors. And I asked and they both said yes. And I'm like, these are very busy women. And, you know, it would have never happened if I hadn't reached out. Now, I've reached out to others, too, and been completely ignored. But, you know, I'm grateful for the ones that responded. And I feel like, you know, it's changed me. So, yeah. And also just kind of like to level up on that. If someone doesn't respond to you, it doesn't necessarily mean you're being rejected. It, it literally just means maybe they didn't see it. Maybe it's not the right fit. Maybe there's a lot of things, but it doesn't equate to me, the sender, I'm rejected. It's a high probability that that's not the case. There's no rejection involved. <laughs> Thank you so much for this open conversation. I think it's going to inspire so many people. I just really appreciate you for spending time with the Women in Tech community and the Women in Tech podcast. Yeah. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited to be able to do this. Ah, to connect and collaborate with more women in tech around the world, remember to go to womenintechvip.com. That's womenintechvip.com. Say hello on social at Women in Tech Show, on Twitter, on Instagram, on Facebook. I will see you, talk to you, all the things in the next episode. Bye. Bye. Hi, this is Brooke Ramirez. I'm based in Houston, Texas. I work for Canon Design, where I am the CIO of the most innovative building design firm in the world. And you are listening to Women in Tech. The Women in Tech podcast is hosted and produced by me, Esprit Devora, With help from Janice Geronimo. Edited by Corey Jennings. Production and voiceover by Adam Carroll. And music from Jay Huffman Live and Epidemic Sound. The Women in Tech podcast is a wearetech.fm production. Thank you for being a listener of the Women in Tech podcast. To support the podcast and cheer us on, become an MVL Most Valuable Listener, go to womenintech.love, linked in the show notes.